Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money for my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match with you great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I use Anchor in a simple matter. I take my podcast episodes, edit them in Premiere, upload them to Anchor and schedule them and set my tags and my description, all that good stuff. Just sit back and let it distribute to all the platforms. It's very simple and very easy to use and very user-friendly. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Let's go. This is the Chase in the Frame podcast, where we interview people in the TV and film industry, talking about their journey, how they got to where they are today. We do this podcast for the frame chasers. This is for those in the film industry, going hard, let them know who we are. Frame chasers, we're, we're not chasing the fame, no, no. Tell them what we do. Chasing the Frame. This is the Chasing the Frame podcast with your host, John DeMarco. Let's go. What up, Frame Chasers? It's Wednesday, and you already know what it is. A new episode of Chasing the Frame, episode 79. We are closer and closer to 100 every week, guys. That's awesome. Can't wait to get to episode 100. Got a goodie for you. But today's episode, we have Austin Sheehan. I said your name right, right? Yep. Oh, thank God. Yep. I had I did one of those playbacks in my head. I'm like, like just repeating your name. But Austin, uh, what what do you do, man? Let me. I just met you, so give if you want to give people what you do, let, let let them know. Absolutely. Hey, John. Well, thanks again for having me on. I uh, listened to a little bit of the podcast. Love what you're doing. Thank I you. think uh, the independent spirit of the film community is something that's been on the rise for many years. So I think independent filmmaking is you know more. Uh, the way that the industry is moving a lot. So it's, it's really cool to see different facets of uh, individuals doing this sort of thing across the country. Mm. Um, but I was, uh, I was uh, born in uh, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, mm. uh, raised in Phoenix, Arizona. So from about one year old to about uh, 22, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And now nice. I live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky since 2011 mm. as a full-time filmmaker. Uh, mostly, uh, DP work, editing, uh, awesome. for, you know, smaller budget independent films or motion pictures, things like that, production yeah. houses for commercial work, things like that. Uh, but then I also have my own films that I, I create as well that I direct or write yeah. or what have you. That, that's awesome, dude. I, and I know, uh, I know you through a mutual friend, George Elias. And uh, how did you meet George? If I may ask real quick. Yeah, George is actually another fellow filmmaker here in Louisville, Kentucky. Her name is Rebecca Dow. Mm. Introduced me to George, and I saw some of his work. I was like, God, this guy is just pretty awesome. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I love his artistic view and everything. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, an overseas film. If you ever watch a lot of overseas short films and stuff like that, they're mm-hmm. very poignant. 
Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. they're very artistic. So I, I got introduced and saw some of his work and we were like kindred spirits, man. When, yeah. Whenever we talk, you know, it's like talking to a brother I've known forever. So. Yeah. Awesome, dude. And then uh, before we get into the show, I'm going to just do a little of housekeeping first, if that's cool with you. So let me get to that. Uh, Absolutely. First off, bef- first off, we have to thank our affiliate partners, Artlist.io. Honestly, the best music licensing platform for any type of content creator. Austin, do you know of Artlist.io, by the way? I use them religiously. There we go. We have we have an Artlist user on the show. I feel like finally I can say safely. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. guys. If he's using it, you should too. But thousands of new songs every day, unlimited downloads, which is always a plus, especially when you're trying to find music for any project. Austin knows this, obviously. It's impossible to find music, but Artlist, what's Artlist like? Fucking incredible, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, guys, if you join in our affiliate link today, that's in the description. You get one year and two extra months free. So check out Artlist.io, inspiring music licensing platform created by filmmakers for filmmakers. Second, guys. We have merch for you at teespring.com slash stores slash chasing dash the dash frame. Not only are we selling shirts, but we're selling hashtag frame chaser masks for $10. Honestly, it's a comfy cloth mask and super stylish, stylish, and you let people know that you're a frame chaser on set. Third, guys, we have to check out Production Apparel. Please check them out. They're awesome. They have some great shirts. We have an affiliate with them as well. And honestly, they have wrap gifts too if you guys want to check that out. So if you guys need some wrap gifts for your crew and stuff like that, I would check out Production Apparel. Um, so again, fourth guys, it's time for us to ask for that donation to the church of the frame guys, three ways to donate paypal.me slash CTF podcast, one-time donation to Patreon, $5 membership a month, which allows you to get early access to audio and visual content a week before it airs. And third in the description on our YouTube videos, this is only on our YouTube videos, guys. We have links to our cryptocurrency uh, wallet, which is a trust wallet, and you can send us any type of crypto- cryptocurrency that's in our description. Uh, any donation size is cool with us. We do not care as long as you're donating to the show or giving to the Church of the Frame. We're using this money that you're f- helping us fund for better projects down the road. Also, guys, please uh, like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube page as well. So let's get to it and for- chase frames today. So, Austin, you answered my first question about where are you from originally. So my second question to you today is... What was that movie, TV show, actor, director, creative person that you, spoke to you and you said to yourself, I want to do this? I, I, it, that question has always come back to the same answer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the difference is like where did it start, but I know where it came from. And it okay. was Star Wars. Star Wars. I, I was a huge Star Wars fan. And that really, George Lucas, mm-hmm. what he was doing, and then... Steven Spielberg at the time when I was a kid, I'm 32, so yeah. I, I was like seven when Jurassic Park came out. So yeah. that was like my our, my generation Star Wars when it came out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people like George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Star Wars in those films really spoke to me um, yeah. as far as creativity and being able to tell a story. Yeah. Those are great movies. Jurassic Park, I'm, I'm about a year younger than you. I'm 31. So, yeah, I'm right on the ballpark right, you of, know. you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jurassic Parks it was a huge, you know, fucking movie to see back in the day as a kid. Even like, I loved Hook also from Steven Spielberg too. That was like, oh yeah, a a a, a goodie for me as a child because I love Peter Pan in general. 
But like, you know, and even George Lucas, I kind of, uh, as I got older, like when they did the special edition uh, re-releases mm-hmm. of Star Wars before the yeah. prequels came out, that's why I went to see Star Wars for the first time, and I was uh, in Me love too. with those. Like, yeah. Taco Bell was running a promotion like yeah. for it when the when the re-releases were coming out. Taco Bell, I don't know if I can say their name, but they had a bunch of toys and like everything you can get. And I was like, Star Wars in the theaters now? <laughs> like I only saw these on VHS at the time, yeah. so I saw them in the theater. And again, it was just another moment where I was just like, God, this this is just so inspiring to me. Yeah. Uh, particularly Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, you know, as I got older, it became Empire. Before, when I was younger, it was, you know, Return of the Jedi all mm-hmm. the way because he had a green lightsaber and stuff. So Yeah, and green you know, was so. probably your, was green your favorite color also when you were a child, too? It was green and purple, man. Yeah. It was green yeah. and purple. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Green, because also I think I had a, a, I like the green because of the Green Ranger. I'll, I'll admit to this now. Right. Yeah. I was a Power Rangers kid myself yep. too, man. Yeah, you man. Know? I mean, Green Ranger. I mean, he was the coolest one because yeah. he had a Godzilla-like thing, and then you know a flute yep. that he played. The <laughs> it was just great. I always wanted that flute. I always wanted that fucking flute. I never got it as a toy. I'm so upset with myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had so- I, I had Saba. I had I had the White Ranger uh, knife though or sword. That was a that was a cool, yeah. yeah that was cool to see. Um, <laughs> but going back memory lane, thank you, thank you, thank you a lot. <laughs> um, did what was I going to ask you about the Star Wars thing? Did you ever see? By the way, speaking of Empire, though, going back to Empire Strikes Back, I never knew this until later on because of YouTube and stuff like that. But the Emperor was totally different in the eighties. Yeah, and I do remember that as a kid. I remember that, but it's when you watch the re-releases for so long. Yeah. You're like, you forget about this ghoulish, mm-hmm. weird thing. He looked like Floss from the Goonies, right? He had yeah. this shitty, putty, nose and scar wax putty over yeah. his eye that, like, was lifted three inches and it was puffy. And, <laughs> yep. you know, he just he looked like, you know, Floss from the Goonies. You yeah. know, it was terrible. Yeah, it was. And and I read also it was a, it was a dude's voice, but a lady acted as the emperor, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Correct. And it was funny how, like, they went from this, like, really bad looking version of him but he was kind of hidden and shrouded you know yeah. he didn't it was, wasn't a deal breaker but then when you see him in return of the jedi oh yeah totally you know that yeah. how they just nailed that look yeah it, you know in that short amount of time that was impressive to me yeah you know? it's kind of the first george lucas fix if you think about it <laughs> right right <laughs> like you, you everyone talks about like the re-releases but like think about that the first george lucas fix is technically the emperor the emperor strikes back to return of the jedi yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh man, you know what? Other Star Wars. Talking about Star Wars too. Ha- Shadow of the Emperor was another like Star Wars thing that got me like amped for the re-releases as well. Did you play that as yeah. a kid? Did I what play that as a kid? Shadow of the Emperor, Empire. Oh yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone remembers uh, if the people who are our age got M- that M sixty four for Christmas. Or around then, and usually they got Goldeneye, yep. some Mario type of game, and Shadows of the Empire. And oh. everyone, that first level, Shadows of the Empire, where you're in the snow speeder, yep. you know, and you're, you're you're hooking the cable along these AT-AT walkers. Yes. And it was just so cool. I mean, we didn't have 3D really much at that time that well done, you know. Oh, yeah. Looking back on it, it's blocky as hell, you know, but it was, there were some really cool villains to it. Yep. had it, they use a lot of unused tracks from John Williams from oh, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I've heard. That yeah, became iconic in itself. 
you know? Oh I remember God. the menu music, you know? Um, and that's a testament to John Williams. I mean, that was his throwaway stuff, and it's iconic, you know? Yeah. Oh, my Incredible. God. That's the, one, that's the one thing I wish they made a movie of. Shadows. Of what? Shadows of the Emperor. Oh, yeah. Empire. Absolutely. I think it's a great storyline. It, it is. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's it, a, as far as the expanded universe goes, it's one of the most solid storylines, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't read much of the expanded universe or never did any of that stuff, but like just like just the memory of Shadows, Shadows of the Empire is just so like... And I remember, too, they had com- the toy commercials back in the day for that. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, blown away. I'm like, this is awesome. Cause it, yeah, there, yeah, there was a, a lot of things. Like, I, I remember, and this is me nerding out, but yeah. Hunter at the time was about to lose their license um, mm-hmm. for Star Wars. Toys oh, wow. Because there wasn't any movies being made or anything like mm-hmm. that. And they it was one of the most lucrative toy licensing deals in history. Yeah. Um, that will never happen again. But. They, they were able to retain the license as long as they kept making toys. Yeah. But there was a period where there was nothing coming out. But then when the re-release came out and all these video games, Kenner started making all those toys, you know, as yeah. Shadows of the Empire. And I remember that as a kid, you know, the one Christmas. I fell in love with Shadows of the Empire so much. You know, all my toys were Shadows of the Empire. That's you know, awesome. The next yeah. season. Oh, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> I had only the, uh, the Prince dude, uh, the Prince... Uh... Something like Caesar, yeah, Caesar something or like that. Yeah, yeah. And that was, you know what, too, like talking about. I know we're kind of in a tangent already about all this stuff, but this happens on the show. But it's also, it's also nice to go down nostalgia lane a little bit too. But the commercials, so much better back in the day. Thinking about like toy commercials that I've seen, like mm. I've literally went on YouTube in the last week just to watch the GI Joe live action commercials. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> like. I watched his uh, GI Joe um, Rise of Cobra was on HBO Max, and I'm like, I watched it, and I'm like, shit, I want to watch those GI Joe fucking commercials back in the day, and I and I tried to went down a rabbit hole trying to find them, which it was hard to find a little bit of it, but it it just made me nostalgic for like toys back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the toys were, I don't know, they were cherished more back in then, yeah. and maybe because uh, our imaginations were different. Like yeah. we didn't have iPads, we didn't have. You know, internet was just coming out. Yeah. You know, we you if you had internet, you either most likely had dial up. You mm-hmm. know, there was one kid on the street who had high speed internet. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that's all we had was to unlock our imagination. Yeah. Was you know getting outside and playing with these toys, and that's what this, a lot of the commercials did back then. They, you very know, true. Just, yeah. <laughs> they were very tangible. Oh, you know. Yeah. And then I went down a rabbit hole, watched like looking at Batman toys from the 90s too so yeah you know where my head yeah was i remember getting quite a few of those oh my God. My... I, had, I was telling my fiance i have a bucket i had a bucket of batman toys and like <laughs> I, I look at it now and i'm like some of them were the same as in the sense mm-hmm. of like they did the same thing like because apparently i feel like the animated series used the same type of to- like batman types in the animated series as there was in batman returns so like mm-hmm. if you got like commando batman from batman returns there'd be a commando batman on the animated series and i think i had like you know, two versions of it. So, like, there's always, there's always, like, the same ones, and you re- never realize you doubled up on which ones you had <laughs> as a kid. Right. <laughs> exactly. You would lose one or something, or... Yep, yep, yep. You know, whatever. Yeah. You just always, 
or, or, you, or your grandparents didn't know what to buy. It's yeah. Just, they looked at the label. Yeah, this is Batman. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you end up getting two of them. And, like, and as kids, yeah. we didn't care. No. We like, yeah, I want two. It's more for us because then you can have multiple Batmans in one thing and be like, this is the bad Batman. This is the good Batman. And have a fight. Yeah, this yeah. is a clone, you yeah. know, or whatever. Like, oh. You know, that imagination was a, a little bit. Yeah, it was a little more rampant when, when we were growing up, you know, Fuck compared yeah. to things nowadays, you I'm, know. Pretty sure I had into a Spider Verse moment as a child with my Batman's, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but going back to you, sir. Uh, so you're, you know, you said Star Wars and Jurassic Park. So you're, you said seven years old, six, seven years old at that time. Yeah, yeah, I was okay. about seven. So you're, you're seven years old. You see that stuff for the first time. Then where, where does it start taking you in the sense of like, when's the first time you pick up a camera? Around right around that time. Oh, okay. Um, my my parents weren't uh, really um, didn't have a lot of money at the time. We lived in a trailer, but uh, fortunately, I had really awesome grandparents who yeah. kind of helped us do some things. And they actually gifted us an old Sony uh, Hi Eight or um, yeah, an eight eight millimeter you know type uh, camera uh, camcorder for you know recording family stuff. And I would I started commandeering that camera and mm-hmm. making it my own. And would if I didn't have friends. To reenact scenes or whatever i would you know um uh have toys and stuff but i, I it's not like i like studied the films and go, oh they do this at this point and yeah. this and that point it's just i think it was just kind of innate where you know i've seen movies long enough and i really love telling stories and yeah. stuff i love using my imagination to tell a story that it just kind of came like second nature is like doing camera angles and stuff yeah and you know, instead of just one wide angle and us performing a 10 minute long scene, you know, it had, you know, uh, uh, different angles. But back then I didn't have an editor. I didn't know how yeah. to edit, you know. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So what we would like hit record and then I had a remote, you know, yep. uh, and then with in my pocket and hit stop real quick, you know, and then go to the next angle. Yep. That's what know? I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then eventually they started selling these uh, sort of packages that Best Buy when we were kids, they were a. Uh, little little mixing consoles that basically allowed you to plug in an mp3 or not an mp3 but a cd player or yeah. a v or a, a cassette player and then also feed in two different audio sources with one audio output so you could splice your own movie like yeah. to a vhs tape oh and shit i, started I didn't doing, have that <laughs> yeah no I, I, I my dad was the real gearhead yeah. you know he um, eventually the both parents, they worked really hard. They worked their way up and they were able to afford some things. And, uh, I remember that was one of his gadgets. He wanted to make our home videos with music and stuff like that. Yeah. And as always, I kind of just took it away from him and I was like, here, let me do this. And I started doing like my own like music videos and I used that little mixer until I was uh, a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made like skate videos. You know, yeah. I was really into skateboarding. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Growing up on the West Coast, I mean, skateboarding is a huge thing. So you would, and then uh, the MTV Jackass was a huge thing. Yeah, so you know, you know what? Go, yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry to cut you off, but you know, we have the same trajectory in a sense because we come mm. up from the same error. And I, I was, I want to say yeah. that real quick. Like we come from that Jackass error and skateboarding error yeah. when it was big. So yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's true. All of us, yeah. like, especially on the West Coast, you know, you know, it's skateboarding was you either you did it if you were cool or you didn't and everyone was doing it you know yeah. and then with that followed cky and yep. jackass and all these things that people 
doing dumb shit. And by the time I was like 12, 11, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can do that. Yes. You know, and like, you know, we film ourselves, edit it to music and stuff like that. We didn't have computers at the time. So it, I used that little console where if I wanted to make a cut, I'd have to pause <laughs> the recorder, pause yeah. the VHS tape, and then insert a fast forward on the camcorder and then hit record on the VHS and then hit play on the, on the camcorder. It was, <laughs> it was so I'm, shitty. Yeah, I am, I am just going down. You saying this all is like me going down memory lane again because I've... I've talked about this on the podcast too before where it's like we've done things like that. And also like I didn't have a mixing console. I was just doing it through like I'd hook up the the red, white, and red uh, – the red, white, and yellow cable to the TV, right? And then I yeah. had the computer on with the iTunes and all my fucking music. And then i play the music and i play the uh, thing to overdub audio at the same time. So like we were doing this, oh, nice. this crazy-ass mixing, like adding music into – Shit, and then like, oh no, we we fucked up. We have to go over and like have to rewind again. So like, we just re- redub it. And sometimes you get the other audio fi- and all this shit. So like, man, I wish I'm like, I wish I had the mixing console thing. I you had shit, shit, man. Well, I, no, yours sounds more sophisticated. Again, mine was is very rudimentary. No, yours you sounds know, more easy than mine. Mine is like literally, like, I'm playing it through the speakers to get pick up through the stereo speaker of the camera. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, this this was an analog mixer, yeah. man, and that. That was the cool thing about, you know, analog dates. Um, you know, it, it, it was the, the choice back then yeah. versus digital. But then once, um, you know, programs like Final Cut and iMovie, yeah. you know, uh, that just took over. Oh, know? my God. I did, a, I did a video physics project once, and I couldn't figure out where to edit. Like, that was the problem because, like, no one had a fucking computer that could hook up Firewire. And I was like, right. I'm like, yeah, because FireWire was like strictly an Apple thing at the time. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, like, not many computers had it. And the problem was, I had like a USB mini USB or whatever, and it's USB two shit. And like, you can't transfer over mini USB like with with that shit. Like USB two would not let you do that. USB two was slow as fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you had a digital camcorder at the time, yeah, and that was the thing. If you were a filmmaker at the time, or you wanted to make movies, which that's what I upgraded to. I, wore, I yeah. mowed lawns and I laid tile under the table yeah. for, for my friend's dad, you know, when I was like 14 and mm-hmm. stuff and uh, 13. And I bought uh, like a Panasonic camcorder and it had Firewire on it. I made sure it had Firewire on yeah. it because which, I had to think time out to save up for a Mac. Was that? Which Panasonic was it? The was it the, one of those professional Panasonics? Like the no, dude, oh. it was a handicam family okay. camcorder thing. You okay. know, it was, I was, a, like, Whoa, it was a cassette tape. Yeah, it was yeah. like a high eight or, yeah. or not a high. It's a mini DV. Yeah, it's yeah. a mini DV camera. Holy shit! And, yeah. but it had FireWire on it. You yeah. know, and but so it was like four hundred bucks at the time. Yeah, and uh, I saved up for that, and um, through some friends. I never had a Mac before. Yeah, you know, and, and and Mac at the time was like it was like whoa, yeah, you know? right. This is cool. Like my friend showed me, he's like, you know, showing he was playing around with CG and making Velociraptors and stuff. The kid was much older than me, but mm-hmm. I was like, I gotta have a Mac. So yeah. I did everything I could to save up, and uh, my parents they couldn't afford it or anything, so I just did whatever I could to get it and get iMovie and my Panasonic camera and. That's when I went away from jackass type videos to more stories and narrative stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, all right, so I didn't know how to write a script or anything, but I was like, all right, th- there was no dialogue. It was like, all right, so this happens at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, just say this or, or just to act like this, you know? Yeah. And we get certain camera angles and edit it all together with music. And it was such a difference from that old analog mixer that I was using. Mm-hmm. I was actually able to tell a story. I mean, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like it, it, one thing that sticks in my head is we didn't have lot. Well, there was laws at the time. I didn't know what that was, but I was like, I set up a wide shot once and I was having a, a, it was like a two shot, me having a conversation with someone else. Yeah. And, um, from this one angle. And I was like, dude, the camera's not going to pick up our audio because it's like an intense, low scene, you know, mm-hmm. we're 12 years old trying to be gritty detectives or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I, I hooked up, I was a musician as well. So I hooked up one of my Pure SM57 microphones through an XLR to a three and a half. Uh, millimeter adapter into the camera and then ran that into a shoebox okay. that just laid on the table between us. So it looked like, I look back and I'm like, why is there a shoebox on the table? But it was a hide <laughs> microphone, you know? So yeah. it, it kind of, no, there was no like behind the scenes or making movies back yeah. then or there was no YouTube, there's no film ride, there's no Darius Brit, yeah. nothing like that. So we just had to just figure it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It was oh, cool, man. Oh, filmmaking. Oh, guerrilla filmmaking back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> just, just bringing back the old memories, man. Uh, so you're doing that as a, as a kid. And then did you go, like, in high school, was there any video classes? Did you go, like, did you then go, or did you fast forward to even college? Did you did you go to college for, I'm guessing you went to college for film, or did you not go to college? What was No, I, um, I, I, tried attending college for several different things, mm-hmm. uh, not film. Because uh, I, I, at that time, I didn't think it was something I could answer. But in high school, yeah, I, I was the kid that always raised my hand. Whenever they would give out an assignment in high school, Yeah, I would raise my hand and be like, can we make this as a video yeah. instead of an essay? And they're like, yeah. And I would always, I always liked pushing the envelope mm-hmm. and going against it a little bit. So there was, there was a class uh, an AV class in high school where they basically they had a bunch of Macs and they had cameras and all this stuff and they would kind of you know uh, show you how to edit and film stuff and but by that point I already did it on my own and mm-hmm. figured it out I was doing my own thing so there was there were several projects where like there was one where I'm just kind of a kind of a smartass in the class you know at yeah. that time in school I never liked school. Never. If I applied myself, I'd be great. I'd yeah. be wonderful, you know. But I, I always wanted to do my own thing. So I remember distinctly in this one in a science class. Forget which level of science in high school, but um, I was. It was uh, like this. We had to do a pitch on a planet. Like we were assigned a planet, and then we had to do a pitch on a sales pitch on uh, to a specific demographic on who that planet would suit. Right. Yeah. So of course my group, the, the the you know dropout reefer type kids were in one group, and we got assigned uh, Uranus. That <laughs> just fucking went in front, dude. That was the worst decision the teacher ever made. But so what we did, we made this uh, pitch video on uh, how this uh, planet would be suited for nerds and stuff like that. Like you know, so yeah. what? What? Long story short. Dude, I, I dressed up as Stephen Hawking. I stole like stole a wheelchair from the nurse's office. Oh my god! And I would have my friends since it wasn't motorized. Like I would have my friends like push me in the frame, <laughs> and then we would overdub it like in post with Mac and talk. 
<laughs> so like back then, if you just on if you had a Mac, you yeah. highlighted a, a thing of text and hit Command Tab, it would start speaking like a Stephen Hawking uh, voice. And we made this video like that. It just like uh, with the with it was just the most asinine thing. And but it was it blew the teacher away in the class. Like the teacher ended up saving it, and it was so inappropriate. But she ended up showing it to all the faculty and everything. And <laughs> They were just from that moment. They're like, dude, this this is not okay. This is not appropriate. But dude, are you talented? That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, but um, it, it. I mean, after that, um, it kind of at the time in Phoenix, there wasn't a, a, a you know an art a filmmaker group or collaborative. Yeah. There was really no option for that. So I kind of gravitated towards doing what most people do. You're told to just get a job and yeah. do this sort of thing. And I, you know, worked in IT and stuff like that. And I actually ended up going to med school at one point. Mm-hmm. And, but in the meantime, I was still making like lightsaber videos with my friends just for fun. Yeah. And I had enough material. I, I, my mother remarried someone out here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I was, um, 22. And he's like, oh, she's like, he does video. He's like, oh, does he? And he was a producer of a production company. Oh, wow. And um, so I sent him some of my stuff. He's like, holy crap. Like, I was after, no one was really using After Effects at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was doing short films, learning After Effects stuff from Andrew Kramer and stuff like that on the weekends while I did, uh, you know, working in the computer shop, fixing computers and stuff. Yeah. Um, And then eventually got to the point where, I was in med school and I was like, I don't know if what I'm doing is the right thing because I'm kind of doing what other people told me to do. Yeah. And I got offered this job out here uh, to be like a, like an assistant editor. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I hate Phoenix. I've lived here long enough. I'm, I'm going to gamble. I packed, sold everything I could, packed as much as I could in my car and mm-hmm. drove 2,000 miles to Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And was working at this production house that basically does like cooking shows and commercials and stuff like nice. that. And, you know, I was there just really kind of to assist. Yeah. And, but it turns out they're like, this kid's not an assistant. He's a full blown editor, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I got an editing position there and was there for like five years, you know, wow. learned a lot. Now, now I'm, I'm not from, I don't know anything about Kentucky in the sense of like the film community, even, even Phoenix too. Like you said that Phoenix wasn't really thriving with um, or Arizona, I should say, is not really thriving in the film community. But what is Kentucky's film community like? I, I, don't you have to go into it? I like to just. I'm just kind of curious right now to know. It's well, I mean, is it bigger? Is is there a, is there a bigger like um you know like people want to oh, actually absolutely. do shit? Yeah, yeah, because they're actually we are kind of located in, where we are located in the country. Yeah. You know, we're half. Uh, we're less than a 24 hour drive from half the nation's population. Okay. So Atlanta's really close. That's true, um, yeah. You know, Chicago's really close, you know. Yeah. A lot of these places are really close. So there was a lot more theater here, a lot mm-hmm. more music, yeah. uh, a lot more, you know, film, you yeah. know. I, and that's kind of how I got plugged into the community here um, was the 48-hour film project. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it. I have, I have some, I don't know how I feel about that sometimes, the 48-hour film festivals. <laughs> but that's just my, my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on you know where what state it is and yeah. which one, but it is a, it's a worldwide competition, yep. you know, and that's I that's where I gained a lot of my success from was mm. 
networking through that and yeah. meeting all the actors and stuff like that and competing in the 48 you know for, for quite a few years yeah uh so going back then now after the you're now you're becoming an editor at this place and you worked there for five years you said yeah well i did work there at the time you know yeah. for about five years yeah it it kind of it, it didn't no longer i kind of outgrew the position mm-hmm. so what did that involve what did that evolve into for you after you did that after you were in that position well it was kind of a Kind of an interesting thing, man, because I, I, you know, full disclosure, I, I have uh, been diagnosed with bipolar disorder since I was 13. Wow. And I actually was having, I was untreated at the time and was having, you know, a lot of issues uh, um, with my mental health and things like that and yeah. ended up uh, parting ways with that company and yeah. act because it just sucked me creatively, mm-hmm. like. So the only thing I was doing at the time creatively, instead of doing short films on the weekend like I used to or whatever, yeah. I was only doing it once a year for the 48. Yeah. You know, and so we parted ways and actually I ended up just serving tables after, you know, going into the hospital for a bit. I ended up serving tables. I worked at Kroger, which is like, you know, fries out by you guys or Ralph's or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Smith's, Vaughn's, um, Albertson's, those places. I think. Yeah, Smith's yeah, exactly. Kroger. So I worked there bagging groceries for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then got a got an IT job yeah. at um, basically answering calls and doing technical support. But while I was doing that, I started getting inspired again to start writing, you know, yeah. more and more. And start learning script and structure and things like that because I was a great editor and I was a pretty good DP. Yeah. But as far as you know, writing that was something I did, I needed to work on. So yeah. worked worked on that for a while, and then eventually got to the point where. Uh, I was doing so much work, freelance work for uh, other people with their films, but also getting my toes wet, being a PA on some uh, Hallmark films and stuff like that, grabbing coffee, yeah. doing that sort of thing. You know, and, and it eventually got to the point where um, I applied for uh, a, an editor position with a huge production company out here mm-hmm. um, a couple of few years ago and got hired on to do that. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And if I, if I may ask too, going back to that job that you were talking about that burnt you out creatively, why why what why did it burn you out creatively? If I may ask. Well, part of it was my attitude. Okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, I was young. You know, and I'm like, uh, I'm just doing the same monotonous thing over and over again. Yeah. You know. So all, uh, but it's trying to make that make the most boring shit sound entertaining. You know, um, you know, certain, I mean, granted, it wasn't talking head stuff. It was actually cooking shows, so it was pretty entertaining. You know, we did stuff for uh, Food Network and oh, stuff wow. like that. We did a lot of traveling, you know, to um, shoot these uh, cooking shows and stuff like that with yeah. uh, um, uh, Jimmy and Bobby Dean, uh, Paula Dean's sons. You know, they had the backyard cooking show that oh, I yeah. did way that. back in the day. Yep. And, um it, but for, but it was my mindset. Gotcha. And also, also, you know, the salary was very low, mm-hmm. very low. I was making like ten dollars an hour. Oh wow! You know, uh, it was it was just uh, I was putting all my energy to make this stuff that you know sounds good or look mm-hmm. good, and that's kind of what burned me out. But really, it was, it was attributed some of it, at least half of it, attributed to my mindset. Gotcha. You can't have that mindset nowadays. Yeah, you, you know. Can't. Uh, 
if you're a freelancer, you know, or something, even if, especially with COVID, once movies stopped being filmed, a lot of my friends had to go back to, you know, talking headpieces and stuff like that. And how do you make corporate uh, insurance companies sound entertaining? You know, and that that's the thing you can't, if you let it speak in your head that this is not fun, you are spreading a certain toxicity amongst your team mm-hmm. and amongst the production companies that kind of brings it down. Yeah. And it, it results in a bad culture and also uh, an unpleasant work environment for yourself. Yeah. You know, so a proper mindset is, is kind of a big deal to what you're doing. Yeah, it, it is. And, and mental health in general is very like, we. it's very like, Something we need to be more aware of nowadays, I think, too, as well. And um, you know, I'm I'm glad you're in a better place now, too, as well. Uh, so, so you're in the production, the, the job you're at currently, the production company, right? Well, I actually recently uh, just parted ways, and, and oh. now I'm a full time filmmaker. All right, uh, because I outgrew that position, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it was they were awesome, dude. It was like my dream job. Right. Yeah. Like I was like making really good money. Mm-hmm. You know, I was editing videos and I was learning a lot. And I, it got to the point where I had one of the best products in the area. Nice. Um, but it still at the end of the day, it wasn't my end goal. Yeah. You know, my end goal is to make movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I developed through that job, developed enough. Uh, networking skills and stuff like that to at least get some freelance work to sustain mm-hmm. my living expenses and stuff like that while I am actually focusing on, you know, filmmaking. Yeah. Um, whereas, again, this job, it just kind of creatively sucks the energy out of you a little yeah. bit. I understand. So, um, you know, it's like making someone else's dream come true. And you got to get to a point where you're like, okay, do I want to make someone else's dream come true or make my own dream come true? You know, and you mm-hmm. kind of have to take that gamble. Of, you know, if, for me, I'm lucky. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I'm yeah. young-ish. You know, I, I was, I'm able to do that. Um, and I had enough contact to support myself financially to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I took another leap of faith and was like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just going to, I got to focus my energy towards the industry, towards filmmaking. You know? So now being a full-time filmmaker... I sound like a Parker Walbrook, uh, <laughs> full-time filmmaker. Yeah. But uh, now being a full-time filmmaker, what has that journey been like for you so far? It's definitely freeing. Um, there, there's a lot more. There's different stressors with every job, right? Yeah. Pros and cons to everything. Like working for an agency or working for a production company, you're getting a steady paycheck. Yes. If you're lucky enough to have that kind of job. Mm. And you're probably getting benefits, too. But the thing you don't have a choice over is what kind of work you're doing. Very so true. So there's a trade-off. You know, the type of work that I'm doing now is stuff I'm fully invested in. Yeah. Stuff that I believe in that that has a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, because for me, at the end of the day, especially primarily doing a lot of editing, we're retelling the story the best it can be. Yeah. Um, that's one of the beautiful stages. One of the beautiful things about editing is the final stage of storytelling with any piece. Very true. Um, yeah. So it, it's now I get to choose what story I want to tell, mm-hmm. you know, and they may, may not be a hundred percent 
what I want to do, but they're a lot closer to what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and times are weird right now, especially with COVID and stuff. There's not a lot of film work to be had, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird time to be a full-time filmmaker in this industry. Yeah, I, I was gonna, um, I was gonna, I was actually going to ask you that, like, what's that been like because of COVID? But it's it must be well, very. the con? You know, one yeah. of the cons is, is consider, you know where are you going to get your paycheck from? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, yeah. So, um, have have you what have you made? What was hmm, what have have you made any? I I haven't really looked into. So I haven't looked into much of your stuff yet. But have you made anything? Uh, what was like one of your first projects as a film? Now as a filmmaker. What was one of the first projects yeah. I did? Yeah, what was, one of the, what was one of the first projects? Uh, the very first one, I will say that was my official first film, my yeah. first short film, uh, with the script and the cast and everything. It wasn't just me and my friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was our, in 2014, the very first 48-hour project, film project that yeah. we did. Um, that, was, that was the first. Gotcha. And then it... Um, Kind of, we did one a year from there, and then the last uh, four years or so, there there was one year where we were like, all right, let's try and do this like every month, and then we started doing it every other week, and then we were one of the only teams doing short films year round that we had a huge pile of stuff, and we learned and we made so many mistakes along the way, yeah. but we ended up learning from them, and it got to the point where we're a well-oiled machine. Um, nice now where we're doing films that are you know being screened across the globe and wow. being uh, recognized by some some nice bigger film festivals and things like that mm-hmm. so um, you know the consistency and and continuation of failing and learning is really the the best thing you can do as a filmmaker to grow is don't be afraid of failing just continue to no matter how unrealistic the idea sounds just just do it try it yeah you know um but uh, just know that a lot of times you're, you're not working with a disney type budget you know um so also keep your expectations in check very true and and even filmmaking in general too like you now growing with your team what what has it been like growing with them as well like you know are you guys using are you using the same people or have you you know been not flip-flopping, but, like, have you been switching out people? Have you – what is that What is that process like for you as a director? It's very much uh, – right now it's like a uh, like Kevin Smith thing where you use a lot – or a Tarantino thing even, where you use a lot of the same people but in different roles. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, a new one that will join for every other one, and yeah. then they get rotated and stuff like that. So yeah. it's like I, I utilize the same resources because each person has their own range. Yeah. And – uh, one of the things about you know being a director uh, is knowing that range and the best place to put them. You know, I forget what the who said it, but you know, casting is like seventy percent of your film. You know, the success of your film is like it's like seventy percent of it. Yeah, you and know, so is audio. You have good casting. <laughs> you know, yeah. But if you have the good writing to back it up, then it's just stellar. Yeah. You know? Um, what was it? A fucking. Uh, Oh my god! I just oh wait no I had I had a moment where I just blanked out. Uh, but no, I was gonna ask you. We talked about earlier also too, like you know, 
I was gonna ask you now, what are your who are your directors that inspire you? Because you mentioned earlier Lucas and Spielberg, but has that changed, or is that still Lucas and Spielberg? And then you got two other, like a few others. I mean, there's some newer ones now that I that really have gravitated towards a lot of like drama type yeah. films. I love drama. I love. I think humans are more interesting than like superheroes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's just there's a lot of complexity to it. Yeah. You know, and plus it's an easier resource to explore. Yeah, you know? very, very um, easier resource. But so there's been a few directors that have added on, but really I keep coming back to Lucas, mm-hmm. you know, like what he did to change the industry, to, to set a standard, to not only that, but invent things that have paved the way and, and allowed creation for other movies to do the same. You yeah. know, without ILM, without Jar Jar Binks, he wouldn't have the Iron Man suit, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, he's just a visionary. And, yeah. and actually, it, I look at some of his other films that aren't Star Wars related. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I like what Francis Ford Coppola, one of his friends, said about him. He said, Star Wars is probably one of the worst things that happened because he's so stuck into it now that you robbed him of telling other stories. Very you know, true. And he's so creative. Yeah. You know? So he is, he's just, he's pretty incredible. I mean, granted, the dialogue in the prequels were just awful but you know it, it, he's a true visionary he's a good storyteller you know yeah I mean um, look at I mean even if you look at what he did with Spielberg and Indiana Jones those three movies I like to say the three movies not the fourth one because that was kind of weak but the yeah. the first three were, were, were I think written by George if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and those are incredible yeah. those are incredible pieces of storytelling and even I watched I didn't watch it all but American Graffiti is pretty good from what I've saw so far as well. Oh, absolutely. And I would love to see THX. Have you seen THX? Yes, I have. I, I saw the short film version and his other film version because he had the student film version and then his actual film. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I never. I never saw that. I just remember seeing THX in the in, in the sound when that came out when that was a big thing. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it just such imagination. Yeah. Um, that only he could do. Yeah. You know, but I mean, there's a lot of other ones like I'm really um, I love for uh, mm. a new director of mine that I'm really starting to love is Ari Aster. Okay, you know with her with Hereditary, Midsummer. I love you Midsummer. Know, those yeah, are some those are some of the best horror films I've seen mm. in so long. Some of the best films in general I've seen so long. Uh, I'm loving a lot of the stuff that A24 is releasing. Yeah, um, they have some great shit. Not gonna lie, yeah. there <laughs> like the yeah. Lighthouse. The light, I think the light, Lighthouse is A24 as well. Yeah, 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 I love the lighthouse. One of my friends hates it, but you know, it's <laughs> red. I, I understand. Alex Garland yeah. is Alex Garland is another one. He did Ex Machina and Annihilation. Oh, yes. and, you yes. know, um, I just love I love those directors who aren't afraid to make their whole movie about the person's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the intricacies of or complexities of a character, and yeah. not hide it in fanfare type, you know, I hate to say it, but superhero type setting, Yeah, you know, because it is much more tangible and it's a much more interesting story to me. Mm-hmm. So. I think also, too, like, I've, I've become more aware and I've become more of a film snob in the sense of watching more Criterion films as well and appreciating mm-hmm. the directors in the Criterion collection more than I have with modern day directors Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, 
I mean, as you get older and you start asking yourself, you, you get to a point in, in your journey as a filmmaker, yeah. you're doing this with your friends and you're just doing whatever. But then there's, there's that moment where you're like, okay, well, what makes this film a, a film? Not only what makes this a film, but what makes this a good film? Yeah. You know, and that you start asking questions. And from that moment on, you can no longer watch movies like anyone else anyone regular any it's just it's habitual it's innate you know every time i watch a movie now it's how, okay they did this type of lighting you know or I, they did, I, you i'm know. the opposite i can still take it away as a as a spectacle first and then from the second to third viewing and on i'll i'll break it down more because because yeah. <laughs> i as i've actually like i've 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 said this in the past too like where i can like I'd rather just fucking watch it as a viewer because I feel like I retain more information about the things they've done and they stick out more in my mind than me trying. That's to, very true. Yeah, than me trying to break it down and being that film snob that everyone hates to be around when they're trying to watch a movie. Like, oh, you see the fucking lighting over there? It's fucking great. I'm like, right. You're yeah. actually paying attention to what yeah. the director wants to show you. Yeah, that's the movie. Yeah, I'm like, let me you know? let me just like the movie because, <laughs> like, you know, I've watched. Uh, you know, I I in the last year I've really watched more Kurosawa, and I've now watched started watching uh, Tarkovsky oh, yeah. films, and I'm like, holy yeah. shit, Andre Tarkovsky is fucking a genius, and I've learned to oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm Kurosawa like, Kurosawa is, is awesome. Too. Yeah, Kurosawa I mean, is awesome too. Like, oh my god, like a uh, fucking Ikura, I think is, is Kur- Kurosawa. And then mm-hmm. I'm blanking out there. Um, there's Seven Samurai. There's Jojimbo. I mean, yep. all these. I'm a huge Western fanatic. Yeah. Oh my god. Fanatic. And they, they all are basically, and Tarantino films are all rip-offs of Kurosawa. Basically, yeah. Even even uh, you know? the, the, the Star Wars stuff is like the hidden, I think. Exactly. It's the hero's yeah. journey. Hero's from, journey. You know, Him, Fortress up, also you know? is not Kurosawa, I don't think, but like that. Uh, three uh, three Outlaw Samurais is another one. You know, mm-hmm. like all these fucking movies. Yeah. They all go back to yeah, Kurosawa, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's cool looking back and seeing all these old films. A lot of people disregard them because either they're too old or the black and white or whatever. But I've I've really been getting into it, um, uh, especially through different filmmakers who talk about it. Yeah, or that have a YouTube channel to talk about it and stuff. And, and even of, even that, people are forgetting that these films. The reason why they're so impactful and so memorable is that they're a good story. Because like you know, I I did a exactly. I did a thing on the podcast a couple times where I had people, me and them, would talk about. Oscars from like the 90s to like now what won best picture and we went over like what was a memorable film and once you start hitting 2000 probably I think 11 let's say I don't remember you start going that's not memorable that best picture is not memorable like a lot more not memorable best pictures there are the memorable pictures and that's because right, there's yeah. not enough emphasis on really what matters and there's the, yeah. the two, these are the two things I found that matters the most is a the story and yep. what's in front of the lens. Yeah, you know what's in front, the performance, the lighting. You know these oh, that's how it. they how they enhance the story. Not all the technical spectacle of it. Yeah, you know, there's a fundamental thing that has been lost. I think in a lot of modern films compared yeah. to a lot of those old films. You know, I agree, and I think we kind of need to get back into that mode. I guess. Like getting back. There's, a, we, we, there's some people doing it. You yeah, know, like no, there is. 24 films. Yeah, like, yeah. But the, it's not on the grand scale that, the, you know, what's taking up the marquee yeah. are these big spectacle films. 
Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. But I think we, I think, I think independent artists need to rely. I mean, that's what's great about independent artists too. Is like we kind of like there's a handful of us that still understand the old cinema where it worked and like what like like because everyone's doing fast cuts now and shit like that. And I'm like more about the pacing and the and what drives the story, the blocking and shit like that, not the camera movements and all that shit. Like it's like I a big a big DP that I love is Gordon Willis. And he did the Godfathers and like a lot of Woody Allen movies too for, for that and like just the way he used the camera and the block like because it was all about the there's blocking. There's psychology to it. Yeah, there's more there's, of a psychology. Yeah. Why, you know? yeah. But it always enhanced the story. It always yeah. enhanced the character. Always. It did. wasn't doing it just to do it, which that's what a lot of people are now. And you know, we're we're seeing a lot of young kids and people fresh out of full sale and stuff where they kind of grew up on just YouTube filmmaking, which is not bad. No. You know, but yeah. the, the, some of the fundamentals have really been lost on character motivation and and why you dolly in, why you push yeah. in, why you pull out, why you have, you know, a duck angle for this situation, you know? Yeah. And those are the things I like to try and retain in my films, you know, is that the, there has to be movement. Yeah. There has to be motivated. You yes. can't just move the camera just to move it. I agree, and e- even even movement in general too. If the camera's stationary, and the ca- the actors are moving in the way it's blocked, there's the movement right there. Exactly, what's in front of what's the in front of That's the lens? Really, yeah. what matters? Yeah, you know? and for the longest time, yeah. I used just a tripod and a and a shoulder rig, and I still yeah. do. That's my main go to. Yeah, I don't use. I mean, I I have used gimbals before, but when it matters, exactly. You know? Yeah. And even like you know, it's funny. Like I, I was talking to George was actually hanging out with me before we got on the podcast, and we were discussing something about um, or, uh, like the the bar of filmmaking is the bar now lower because of all the content that's out there. Like you said, the YouTube filmmakers is the bar actually like lower for like these films where people think they're like what's good is actually okay, and what's you know great is actually good. You know, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if the bar is lower. I just think the bar has shifted to mm-hmm. what matters to them. Yeah, because people will make movies what appeals to the masses, right? Yeah. So if you got a mass amount of people saying they want this, Hollywood's going to make it. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing with with Hollywood. That's the same when I go back to my production jobs and things I've done. You're making something that you don't want to make. You're making something that other people want. Yeah, you know, and I think that's where the translation is lost. Is a lot of films are being made. I mean, yes, you should make your film for an audience, and and don't do the Jean Luc Godard thing where you're so fucking artistic and French that <laughs> it just appeals to no one. You know, Except and it's Jean-Luc a Godard, film. Godard. I'm sorry, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> Jean Luc Godard, fucking, oh, I hate his film. Hate him. I, I, but, it sounds like you like him. I can't really tell actually. <laughs> <laughs> French films piss me off. I'm sorry. Some of them are really good, you know, because they do focus more on story and yeah. character and what's in front. But uh, they just try to be so out there in some way. How do you, you know? feel about Alejandro Jodorowsky? Uh, no, no qualms. You know? Okay, well, that's he's. I was like, his films are out there too. <laughs> out there's fine. It's yeah. just out there for the sake of being out there, not to tell the story. You uh, know. Yeah. Um, when I was again, my I, our team actually won the forty eight in mm-hmm. two thousand sixteen. We then got to go on to the worldwide 
portion of it in Seattle yeah. and see all the other filmmakers from around the world. And dude, America got spanked. Really? And, like some of these, some of these films out on other overseas, they really understand it. Like they really, they retain that old Hollywood aesthetic to it. Yeah. Where old Hollywood was people throwing money at artists and just saying, kind of do what you want. Yeah. Where now it's Hollywood saying, here's a bunch of money, do what we want. Yeah. You know, so, so the bar has, you know, going back to the bar, it's, it's just changed. You know, people expect great visuals now. Yeah. They expect a great spectacle with a decent story, you yeah. know, whereas they don't, the film is, 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 is not as appreciated, uh, as an art form as it used to be. It's, it's appreciated in a different way. So it's just an evolution. Really. I don't know. You know, it's, it's that appreciation's gone. It's just shifted into what people appreciate. I, I think the appreciation is leaving. You know, I, I that's that's my opinion. I think the well, you know what? Too the problem with what you're saying too, where they used to throw money. You wouldn't thank fucking Michael Cimino for fucking uh, Heaven's Gate or that fucking thing just ruined cinema. <laughs> yeah. Like that, they threw money at him to make that shit. Like, and he just fucking made the shittiest movie in the world. Apparently. That didn't work, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they don't care. Like if it's a shitty movie, they care if it's profitable. It could be a shitty movie. Look at Sharknado. It, well, you know. I mean, well, the thing. What was it? Yeah. If, did you watch Heaven's Gate at all, or no? Do a you, little bit of it. Do, yeah. Do you know the history? Like more of the history behind it, though. Too. It just bankrupted. No, not really. It, yeah, it bankrupt United Artists. Like United Artists, that was founded by Charlie Chaplin and a few other people, like was sold, and then like Chimino was on a high after the deer hunter that they're like, let's just give this man whatever he wants. And what they did, it just, it just basically bankrupt the whole United artist studios. Yeah. And that's probably right. The reason why the reason why you see a lot of other studios that have producers that have more of a, 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 a dictatorship of how the movie is going to be made. Right, because they don't want to get free reign to a filmmaker that could bankrupt, yeah, you know, or lose them a ton of money. Oh yeah, and it's a product that makes money now, and, you know. And that and that golden age of Hollywood was the seventies, as they say, that new or that new renaissance, which we had Coppola, Lucas, like you said, that you love, uh, yeah, Spielberg, Scorsese or Scorsese, whoever, however you say his last name. You had mm-hmm. all these filmmakers that were like the. It was the golden age of cinema where like great movies in the seventies and kind of close to the eighties were being made too. Yeah. They carried on the tradition of what we were doing since, you know, 19, you know, yeah. uh, 12 or whatever until, you know, the sixties. And then that, that generation in the seventies, they took, you know, the fundamentals of it, but then started making, you know, not Coppola and Scorsese really, but, um, you know, they, they made the blockbuster, you yeah. know, the spectacle, and which was great, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, there's such a thing as balance and saturation of what's being made, what people are wanting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always going to be dictated by what people want. Yeah. Fucking people. <laughs> Fucking studios and fucking people. Right. <laughs> so no, I think it's, it's, it's everything has a, a, a pendulum that comes back. Yeah. This shit. Overcorrect. Things like that. We're in an overcorrection state yeah. where there's so much saturation where now you're seeing major streaming platforms like HBO Max and mm-hmm. even Netflix. Now they're having uh, their own section for short. 
Oh, really? I, picture, I, know. Know, I yeah, know Netflix so actually accepted shorts finally. Yeah, I, it, it's just, there is a, uh, it's not everyone, but there is an appreciation, especially with the attention span and YouTube. Yeah. YouTube's one of the best filmmaking platforms out there it, because yeah. you do whatever. Well, it's funny you know? too now. YouTube goes for length than more than the short factor as well because they, they, they talk about ad time and ad watch time, I mean. That used to be a whole different ball game. YouTube has evolved so much since you know when I started in 2011 with YouTube and stuff like that. Like it's it's changed so much of like what they want longer form content now. They don't want the shorter form five minute videos or six minute videos. They want the like thirty minute video. Yeah, it's coming back. Yeah, you know. So it's that time of saying, you know, keep your short film five minutes or less. Yeah. You know, I still don't say go over fifteen. Really, just. You're gonna go more than fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. right? Do it. Try and do something else. Do you an know, extended you can't tell, short. Tell yeah. story because like in that amount of time. Because even look at looking at Quibi, like I called that shit was gonna fail. Like I knew that shit wasn't gonna work. <laughs> like and, and they thought people. And the thing was, their market research was wrong with the you know people wanting to watch ten minute fucking things on their phone. They they actually didn't. They wanted to watch longer longer form content. Yeah, that is becoming a thing. I've seen that as a trend, you yeah. know, um, with uh, with all videos, not just filmmaking, yeah. but uh, all videos online. Yeah. You know, um, and especially podcasts becoming a big thing. People are starting to want to listen, you know, mm-hmm. to people instead of being just fed a short amount of something, you yeah. know, which is good. Again, it's that sign of the pendulum swinging back. Yeah. You know. Uh, I, it, it, nature has a way of correcting itself. It really you know? does. It's, it's uh, and also another thing too is going to be like the the pot. I think the podcast bubble, in a sense, where everyone and their mother has wanted to start a podcast since the pandemic. It's when we get back mm-hmm. to somewhat of a normal, like to see what happens. And I'm really curious to see that because the average. I've read this a couple times. The average podcast amount of episodes before people stop is eight to ten. Wow. So. Yeah, I'm like just really curious of how many podcasts actually drop off after the pandemic. Uh, after this whole, we, hopefully we get back to normal soon. But like, I want, I'm kind of curious of that fucking nature. Right, me too. I, I'm actually, I have a client that uh, he's so interesting, so interesting. He's yeah. a story in himself uh, that he's been wanting to just do a podcast, but mm. you know, uh, set up his studio and everything. Yeah, and, uh, it's like a video and audio thing, and. Um, we're we're in the process now of like outlining and writing some stuff. And, nice, you know that he can talk about. You know, and it's it's going to be very entertaining. I I have a feeling. You know, mm. so I think some of that uh, combining the visual with the audio is yeah. really kind of going to help. You know. Yep. And I think a lot of podcasts are going to start doing that. They're going to have both those elements. Yeah, I mean, podcasts do that kind of already, like the uh, the visual with the uh, audio. I mean, we mm-hmm. we kind of do that here here on uh, our show, but like sometimes fucking I'm running like the Rodecaster through my MacBook Pro, which is like a 2013, and OBS mm-hmm. like just stops working after a while, and I'm like, well, fuck. So all my virtual ones have been kind of like hit or misses of what I want. Like it's like, all right, I'll just do audio. Fuck it. Because I feel like OBS... And yeah, you today. need some expensive, like, V-Mix to do it right, you know? Yeah. That's like, fuck, like, you know, I mean, 500 yeah. to $800. <laughs> and and also, like, I'm going through... It's technically, like, where our 
our modem and Wi-Fi router is, it's downstairs and my office is upstairs on the second floor. So I don't have like a, like I'm th- going through wireless too, but we have, I mean, we have decently fast wireless, not like nothing too crazy, but still like, it's also like, do I really want to pay for more faster internet when it's going to be like a shit ton more? Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of variables. It's not like I'm complaining about my internet, right. which I kind of am. <laughs> uh <laughs> It's all good, man. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think so. I think they will pick back up. I mean, to me, I thought they were taking off more now than ever. Oh, they are. You it's know? a billion dollar wow. industry. It's been it's been on the rise. It's actually been on the rise in the last like five years. Podcast. It's it hit. I think it hit a billion dollars like last year or this year. Finally. Yeah, there's there's a cultural shift that's happening, like an awakening within yeah. the world that people are wanting to be more educated and wanting to, you know expose themselves to something more than commercialism. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so that's why we're seeing a rise in that sort of stuff. You yeah, know, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's all correcting back, you know, pendulum, pendulum back swing back. So, um, back to you and our, after our long tangent of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so what, what projects have you worked on during the pandemic? Mainly, I've actually been just doing a lot of writing, mm-hmm. and because we can't shoot, you know, what I've been doing is um, kind of prepping for my next big thing. I've been working uh, with uh, one of my writing partners, uh, Nick Rowan, on this series, like this little short episode series where we're calling Orbeez. Okay. Uh, basically, it's a... Um, we're, and it was kind of form, formed because of the pandemic. Okay, if we can't shoot, can we can we shoot one actor? Yeah, right. You know, doing so. So we came up. You know, just this. Um, it's kind of a castaway meets uh, Robinson Crusoe, okay. lost in space. So it's like it's this guy um, who uh, escapes. Uh, his uh, basically is uh, like the space station he's working for. Whatever he crash lands on some remote planet. Um, and the only thing he has to talk to is this talking ball. You yeah. know, it's like an AI floating orb thing. Yeah. And um, we've done a lot of test shots with it, like as far as, because the trees, like the leaves are purple and stuff, so we started learning about, you know, how to change the environment. Like, how do we boost our production value yeah. without spending a lot of money? We obviously don't have all these resources that Disney has or something. Yeah. So what can we do? Well, we can turn the leaves purple using DaVinci Resolve and retain all the color of everything else. Yeah. Cool. There you go. Do that. Yeah. That's one simple thing we could do. Kentucky has a lot of wood. We don't need to build a set. Let's do that. You know? There you go. Um, But we have a great CG artist on board with us that actually, thankfully, we wouldn't be able to do it without him, you know, who's doing all the heavy lifting of Orby, the actual talking ball. Oh, nice. You know? Uh, and then, you know, there's some prop makers here that we've been getting to make the space suit and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh, using 3D printing and stuff like that. So uh, what we've been doing is we wrote it. And then actually one thing I found very useful is actually recording the table. read. We had a table read with the two actors, the guy playing the voice of the ball and the main actor who's, who's going to be in front of the camera. Yeah. And I had two different microphones, hooked them up to my focus right, recorded the, um, you know, the read through a script. And then started making that like an old school television radio show. I started editing it, putting in old tent music from Star Wars movies, things that 
influence that I want to influence the story. Okay, you know, yeah. sound effects, things like that. So when you listen to it, you know, there's a storyboard like animatic, but there's all this audio detail, which audio is so important. You know, if you don't have good audio in any film or, or detail to audio, you kind of lose, there's a lot lost in translation or you end up turning it off. So just hearing these things and using very archaic visuals, really, you're like making the movie before we made it. So we've yeah. been working on that. You're kind of like revisiting you know, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. I was doing a lot more of that. And yeah. Damn, that state, that's going to take a lot of time in production. Yeah. So, um, when do you think you're going to start shooting that? Hopefully, hopefully, I hope soon. Well, spring. We got to wait for the leaves to grow back on the trees. Yeah. And there to be green on there. Yeah. You know, because for the for the tricks to work is they have to be a completely different color. Yeah. The leaves have to be a completely different color than the clothes and the skin that we're using mm-hmm. otherwise the software confuses it and all of a sudden yeah. frank our main actor is purple gotcha you know? yeah yeah. It... so you were trying to avoid rotoscoping and stuff like that you know so um we, we have to wait till it's um probably april it may may probably before we can start doing it but we started getting the suit yeah. finalized and everything and um all that so you know we're hoping to shoot that you know, hopefully May or June. Nice. That's awesome. I, I, I'm going to hope I'm going to keep the fingers crossed for you on that one. Um, what are it's you guys, good, what are you guys going to shoot on? If, do you have anything? Do you, what, what, what are you rocking? The shoot? What do you think I'm shooting on? Well, any filmmaker, just, just shoot what you have available to you. Don't, yeah. don't wait. I mean, certain things wait, you know, mm. to get the funding to rent certain gear. But luckily through, all the connections I've made through working for various production companies in the area and yeah. stuff. Um, we have a DP that this is going to be the first film that I don't DP myself. Okay. Because I'm, st- I was, I started out doing everything myself, right? Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone else to do it, you know, but that kind of takes away from directing or from these little areas that you should focus your attention to. Yeah. So we have a DP that is using a red, uh, but we, I'm, I'm partial to black magic equipment. Okay. I, what I primarily shoot on is black magic cameras. I still use my, it's like $700 now. It's a black magic cinema camera, 2.5K. I have, I have a film. I have the 4K for, one. Nice. Those are amazing cameras. I have uh, a film that we've been working on for five years that's about to be released now uh, because it's gone through a lot of editing changes and stuff. It was shot on the 2.5K. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about to be released, and I have people look at it. As long as you have, we had a good, great colorist on it. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of people saying, "Dude, what the hell did you shoot this on?" You know, and it's like, dude, it's just now it's seven hundred dollars camera. Yeah. You know, I think mine's um, actually lo- worth less because that has more problems than the two point five K. Actually, the four K one. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, because what was it? your camera goes to from two hundred to sixteen hundred. Mine goes from two hundred to eight hundred. Right, and then on top of that, at 800 ISO, there's a fixed noise pattern. So basically, any low light situations out the window, even if you light yeah. up something, and then on top right. of that too, it like anything that's like in a very hot spot that you can't really like fix in general, like you know what I'm saying, is there's a fucking purple spot. Like yeah, from- they had that problem for a while. They built in a plugin in Resolve that's supposed to take care of it. Yeah. Um. You know, but like all my films have been shot on either 
Black Magic pot, uh, Black Magic uh, 2.5K, the mm-hmm. Ursa Mini. Uh, nice, yeah. the, now, what I've been using a lot lately is, is the Pocket 4K or the Pocket 6K. Nice. I love the Pocket 6K. Yeah. Um, you can get some amazing looking stuff out of that, uh, especially with the 6K flexibility. You can still render out posts in 4K if you wanted or 1080 and just really use that you know, 6K stuff. Uh, I'm, I've shot several of my friends, a uh, couple people, their short films on it recently that I'm in the process of editing. Mm-hmm. I'm still editing this World War II film that we did. We got to go to Knoxville, Tennessee and get all these old German tanks. Like, it was actually the most amount of German tanks used in a film wow. since 1942, since, since the World War. Holy shit. You know, there's, you know most, most films, like Saving Private Ryan, they had one German house or whatever. I, I'm not, I'm not a gear buff when it comes to military hardware, but there was, um, you know, one actual uh, historic tank in Saving Private Ryan. Rest is CG. With this, we had a convoy of six different tanks, and we mounted the cameras to the tanks and all these other things. So that's something I've been working on still. Um, but everything pretty much that I've been doing is, is black magic, and it it holds up. Yeah. yeah, it holds up. It's one of the best bang for your buck filmmaking tools. It's like Black Magic doesn't want to make money off their cameras. They're <laughs> such a good deal. <laughs> they, you know? they do. Ah, uh, oh, man. I, I, you know, how do you, how do you feel about the Ursa 12K? Let me ask you that question. Yeah. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on um, that one? Well, I. It's a great camera, but I mean, the the way we're going, depending on what you're doing, if you're shooting for Netflix. Stuff like that, 12K, you know, definitely the way to go. You want that room in post, you know, it, it is. But also at the same time, if you're just, if you have a limited budget and you don't have the resources to edit 12K footage, there's no point in getting it. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of application for 12K right now. No, not at all. Except for in film or television. And even then, that's a stretch. Most people are like 8K red, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Stranger Things, I think, is 8K, you know, and then they, they dumb it down to about 4K, you know, with all the, you know, uh, making it degrading and making it look like 80s footage kind of, you know. So you so having that leeway is very important. Um, but that's, it will become a necessary thing. But that's kind of just black magic at this point. So like, here, we're going to give you something that you really have no use for yet, you know, and give it to you for a steal, you know. Yeah. Um, the Ursa Minis are some of the best cameras I've ever used. Um, there's a short film I shot on Amazon Prime called The Cold Season that I shot on a, on the Ursa Mini uh, G2. And mm-hmm. uh, we actually use Atlas Orion. Uh, uh, oh, uh, those lenses? Book, but Atlas Orion uh, anamorphic and Yeah. And, Shit, uh, nice. Yeah, so it came out, instead of spending, you know, thousands of dollars in a red package, you know, we only spent $400 on the, it was all through LensPro to go. Yeah. You know, uh, as long as you don't break it, the stuff is fine. <laughs> um, but it, it looks incredible, you know. So, but the 12K, I, I have no need for it right now. Um, but eventually, you know, five to ten years from now, yeah. Yeah. It'll be necessary. It- it's. I think for me, like when they announced that 12K camera, I think it they should have just made the Ursa Mini 6K or 8K, even 
in a full frame though. I don't think they need to go 12K because even the the resolution size for eyes, you really can't see anything past 12K in the sense of like differences. If I'm not mistaken, from what right. I read, and like I when I saw that announcement, I was like, I was hoping for another a different body, a little bit more like it, it just different in the body style. I mean, I like the body as is, but there's a body someone's pa- passing around the internet. I can send you a link to it actually uh, when we we're off the podcast, but it looked really cool, and I'm like, holy shit, I would totally buy that Ursa. Like just you know something different, like different and like full frame because that's what everyone's doing right now. They're doing going more towards full frame shit too. Yeah, I don't honestly. That is not that is the least of my concern when I pick my camera. Yeah, and that's for me too. That's the least of my concern too because I'm more of a super thirty five person. I'm not right exactly. I go for cinema. What did they shoot so much? Yeah, you know super thirty five. Okay, I've been using forever is a super 16 millimeter sensor. Yeah. You know, like old MTV music videos and stuff like the really cinematic stuff and even older movies, we're using that sensor, you know, and, and that's, those are the sensors I like to use or th- those are the ones that at least I'm used to because when I learned how to do filmmaking, I'm like, how do you do it as a movie? No shortcut, nothing. I, I, everyone at the time was, all right, how do you make a Canon DSLR look cinematic? No, how do you make, how do you get a cinema camera? What's the cheapest cinema camera? And learn from that. Yeah. Instead of using ISO, use AFA, stuff like that, like learning that type of stuff. You know, so I'm comfortable with 35 millimeter aspect. It, it's to me, I'm just used to that form factor. The full frame has its benefit, mm-hmm. but that really comes, the strength of the full frame is really on the, in the Sony camp right now. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, but to me, Sony and Blackmagic, two different applications. You want something that looks more video? Go with Sony. Yeah. You want something that looks more cinematic, like a movie? Go with Blackmagic. Yeah. And and a lot of that is, you know, the center. You know, I, I've um, actually I've I've thought about my next camera. I would like to get a uh, Canon. Actually, I'd like to go back to Canon. I do like the color science as well for Canon. And right. for me, I think it's more of a running gun camera than. The Ursa as well in my oh, for, absolutely. So I think if if I'm doing a lot of like running gun with people, I can at least kind of be more uh, flexible. I think with the Canon than I could be with the Ursa because in the Ursa, you know, you still got to buy some accessories for it. Whereas the Canon, you have to buy as many accessories. I feel like because that's the thing what happened to me. And I don't know about you when you bought your Black Magic. Like I bought, I had to buy a fucking boatload of accessories. And yeah, like, yeah, I just spent another three thousand dollars more. Than what I want it to, yeah. It just depends on what look you want. Yeah. You know, again, yeah. they're, they're cinema cameras. Yeah. So they're going to be treated as cinema. They're as ergonomic as they can be for cinematic cameras, the Earth Mini. You know, yeah. but they're still cinema cameras, which take the proper setup time, the proper blocking, the proper lighting, all that stuff. It's all what, you know, that gets you the cinematic image. It's not a plug-in. It's not the no. it's It's the process, right? Yep. So if you need something that's run and gun, you know, mm. something, uh, Canon has the color science down, yeah. but Sony really has their own awesome features, you know? Yeah. So if you're going run and gun and documentary stuff, uh, something that you don't have the setup time to, you don't have a gaffer, you yeah. don't have an AC, you have none of that. It's just you. Usually a Sony or a Canon, yeah. you know, 
The C100 was one of the best form factor it, cameras I ever. It held. still is one of the best form factor cameras because it's still, people still fucking use it. I've seen videos on YouTube mm-hmm. where people go using the C100 in 2020, 2021. I'm like, holy shit, people are still using that seven year old beast. Oh yeah, and that was actually probably the 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 one I made my first camera, my yeah. first because I bought that Panasonic Mini TV Panasonic with FireWire back in the day. Yeah, I never had a real camera after that. But when I was making my decision to purchase one, the Canon C100 was was up there. Yeah. But when I looked at the image results, I'm like, what am I going for? I'm going for cinematic yeah. quality. Yeah. So the black magic just reigns supreme in that, and the color is so much better. Mm-hmm. I think with combined with results. Yeah. You know, if you shoot raw on a black magic combined with results, you're going to get some of the best footage you've ever got for the price. Yeah. I agree. Uh, what was uh, the fucking uh, the? How about that cinema DNG at one time? <laughs> Before oh, B-roll. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Compared to B roll, yeah, yeah cinema B- DNG. I mean, eight. I shoot through. You know, my my short film. Yeah, ended up being four terabytes of footage. Holy shit! Because <laughs> of cinema DNG. Yeah, isn't you know? that a bitch? B raw was a lifesaver. Oh my god, what was it like? I I wish they had updates for those cameras. The uh, the cinema uh, two point five K and the the four K production camera. They never, like, when I got that camera, then there was never an update. I saw, like, a firmware update for any of those cameras. And that really ir- irritated me a little bit, too, about getting that camera. Because they literally, I felt like they left us high. They For me, I felt like they left us high and dry because they went straight to Ursa. And they didn't give a shit about those boxes anymore. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a lot of technical things, how the yeah. the processor inside of it, how I, it processed it. I'm, I'm, I am pissed. But, yeah. Because the SDI cable, or the SDI port on that fucking camera started going on me. And I'm like, God. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, for me, I never had any problems except for the black sunspot thing. Yeah. And then the huge storage it required, you know, yeah. for Cinema DNG. Um, I wish they had B Raw, but again, I'm not really using that camera anymore. Yeah. I, I would for like a B cam and stuff. Yeah. I have used that, it that way. It's my A cam. It's my only A and B camera that I have. Like, so <laughs> I, mm. I, I'm kind of in a pickle. I feel like sometimes well, it's, it's, you're still getting great footage. Off yeah, I mean, I'm, you know I, I, mean? I, I won't lie. I still get great footage off it, but like, it, like I said, it's just those certain hindrances that like really like irritate me with that camera. That I'm like, I know I could do more, but I can't really do more because I I, I have to shoot everything at 400 ISO. I can't shoot past 400 on that camera, and right. that's for me an issue sometimes too. Because if I'm outside at night. And I have one light using that to wrap around. I would like to push my ISO to maybe 800. And even at 800, then you just see fixed noise pattern and you're like, well, I can't use any of this. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like my camera is that it's the native is 800. Yeah. And I don't get those fixed noise patterns, but still 800 is not a lot. You really have to properly light your scene. Yeah. You know, they are black even now with the pocket. 4K and 6K mm-hmm. with the dual ISO capabilities, there's still a lot of noise reduction that has to be had, yeah. even at your base, you know, 800 to 1300 ISO. You know, if you want something low light, yeah. again, run and gun, Sony or it's really Sony reigns supreme yeah. in that. You know, yeah. so again, it, but there's, it's, it's cinema versus video. Yeah. You know, cinema cameras are not low light cameras. Uh, very true, there's too. Not. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, to to 
it it go. I mean, if once you go past sixteen hundred, I feel like then you're in, out of the cinema territory, as well. Because I think sixteen hundred is right. not like if because I I always never went past sixteen hundred like ISO, ever. And when you start going past that and you start doing like, again with no lights, then I feel like that's more video territory. I think you can still mm-hmm. make a cinematic image with those cameras from sixteen under. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you can still get a cinematic image yeah. out of a Canon or a Sony yeah. cam. Yeah. But that, that film look, you know, that's, yeah. it's sacrifice, you know. It is. Oh, my God. Do you use Resolve to edit or Premiere? Or I'm guessing you Resolve, man, because you mentioned Resolve. Well, I use Resolve to, to color. Just color? Um, but I use Premiere to edit. Okay. Um, you know, just because. It has a certain look and functionality to it. Now, I hate Premiere. I have a love-hate relationship. I, I do, too. I really do. Yeah. You know, I'm actually thinking about switching to Avid. Media I Avid. have, too. Oh, my um, God. We're, we're fucking, like, brothers right now. <laughs> yeah. No, because, I mean, Avid, again, it's like, I hate Pro Tools, but yeah. it's industry standard, and there's a lot of cool features. And it's the same thing with Media Composer. Mm. It, 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 there's some things I really hate about it, and that's why I haven't done it, but it doesn't really crash, you know, like Premiere does. You know, oh, yeah. it doesn't have the same bugs. Like it's kind of a tank. Yeah. You know. I, so and that's what most movies are made on now anyway, you know, yeah. they have been as media composers. Yeah. You know. And so. it's only twenty dollars a month, I think, if I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big not a bad deal. I mean I've I've tried to edit in Resolve, but I just feel lost in there. Maybe because I don't have enough hours like really trying to do anything in Resolve. But mm-hmm. I I don't know I just feel like it's not like I can I can edit in Final Cut X in in X you know I can do that and it's not a big issue but when I when you put on Resolve for me I'm like I feel like it's French. Yeah, I think I mean Resolve as far as the editing yeah. uh, layout and everything was closest to Final Cut X. Than yeah. anything. But there's um, just something weird really, about it that doesn't like add up yeah. to me. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. That's why I don't. I mean, dude, if you have no money and you yeah. want to edit your film, Resolve is the best. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. You know, it definitely use Resolve. I, mm-hmm. I've guided a lot of my friends to it. For color, I primarily use it for color yeah. because it is industry standard. The color science, that it, how it processes color and images is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you could just export an XML from, you know, Premiere yep. and, or Final Cut and then have it read your entire timeline for the most part, accurately, you know, it, yeah. it, it has quirks, but pretty with, you know, pretty easily, you know, it, it's just a no brainer, you know, and even the studio version is only 300 bucks, like, you know, and then that, now they're making their way with the VFX department mm-hmm. and then the audio department. They've had a lot to resolve. Where yeah, I, I, I foresee the future. A lot of people just switch, you know, back to media composer or resolve. Yeah. Or or do they go back to Final Cut if Final Cut actually like does something big? Oh, that, I'll, I'll hold my breath, you know. <laughs> oh. Hey, listen, like I mean, watching the transition from Final Cut just ten by itself or X by itself to like version ten point like what five now, like mm-hmm. the, it's 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 grown a lot and it's it's got a lot back old features that I've I'm like all right this. This is this is good. This is a good thing. Yeah, so, that's good. Because yeah. I, I abandoned Final Cut Ten or X, mm-hmm. um, you know, three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, just because I, I was primarily a Final Cut Seven editor. Yeah, for a long same. Time. 
and and I and I moved I moved to Premiere because of a uh, at one time there's always on the Max they're like, oh they're not gonna hold Final Cut Seven anymore because of of OS Lion. Right now, for me, what it became is once you start in your journey of being a filmmaker, and you start getting people to collaborate with where you have someone who does audio, someone who does color, yeah. things like that. Final Cut Ten wouldn't allow me to export an AAF. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Tool, you yeah. know, and that was like the most fundamental thing that Final Cut Seven, like it had all these fundamental things that Final Cut Ten just got rid of, and I was limited. I was working with people, and they're like, "Dude, you need to upgrade." Yeah. Or you need to switch. So I, I did. I had to, you know, in order to work with all these other departments, you know. No. So. So, so you're going to make this. So going back to your project, the 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 sci-fi. Orby. Orby. Yeah. Going back to Orby. You're going to do that in the spring. Any other projects that you're planning on doing in 2021? Uh, I got a few in the pipeline. I mm. got uh you know, documentary stuff that I'm, I'm wanting to do, but yeah. uh, I want to release the film that we've been working on uh, soon to Amazon Prime called Manic. It's a, it's a uh, 25 minute short film about right. um, bipolar disorder and uh, one man's struggle with it, which uh, I'm really happy with the, with the end result. Mm. Uh, the score is almost done for that film. So that'll be released soon. Nice. Um, right now, some of my other films have been, you know, circulating the film festival circuit, uh, Pinewood Studios out in London, the guys that where they shoot James Bond and the Solar Films and stuff. Yeah. Uh, our film called The Horse of Peace got accepted to their film festival. Oh, wow. Nice. Screening in London. So right. it's kind of, you know, just get breathing some life in the some current projects and old projects that they have while working on those couple new ones like Orby and, you know, like this other documentary thing I'm working on. But nothing. Nothing major yet. Orby's yeah. a big one. Though. That's that's going to be big for us. So. That's awesome. Uh, uh, congratulations on the Pinewood Studios and a Manic. Thanks, you, you watch Manic now. Um, yeah, I'll send you a link to it, like a uh, uh, like the uh, the uh, edit without the score, or whatever. Get your thoughts on it before it releases on Prime. Yeah, I mean, this podcast just to let you know too. This is we evergreen these, so like this will be out in like either July or August, if I'm not mistaken. So around that time. So hopefully, uh, it will be out. And we'll have a link. Yeah, well, by that time, it should be on Prime. Sweet. Manic. Yeah, yeah. And you then know, just send me out. the link uh, before we release this episode. We'll just send me the link, and I'll pop it in the description. Um, Absolutely. So now we're on the second half of the podcast. We're going to talk about the the pros, your strengths, weaknesses, and what can we do to improve the community you live in, in the film community. Uh, I, again, I don't know anything about the Kentucky film community. But what is it like? What are the strengths and weaknesses? What are the, let's talk about let's talk about the strengths. Like, what are the strengths of the film community out there? Uh, the talent mm-hmm. and the dedication. Okay. If you know, if you can find those people willing to work for you, that's the first thing. I think that's with a lot of other communities. Yeah. You know? um, but the weakness really is with at least in our community and, and other communities. Um, there's this crab in the bucket mentality where one person is just trying to get to the top of the crab bucket and they're climbing over other people to do yeah. it instead of working together. Yeah. So really for not our community, but any community, um, a sense of collaboration and an actual support, you yeah. know, full blown support and, um, not being a click, you know? Yeah. That's something that we mention on the show all the time. You know, we feel Vegas is a click. 
there's a bunch of clicks in Vegas and we're not working together. We're working kind of against each other in a sense. Right. And I, and I, and I, and you know, people have now been more saying like it's everywhere. So I'm now more open. My eyes are more open. So hearing that's kind of like, okay, it's not just Vegas. It's, it's every, it is everywhere. So that's, that's right. fascinating to, uh, you know, hear as well from another community. Um, any other uh, strengths and weaknesses in the, in your community as well? Anything else? Um, just again, the multitude of talent. Mm. Um, you know. Yeah. The, 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 it's just not only the talent, but there's a um, there's a, a sense of artistic community. I think appreciation for the art. Mm. You know, everyone yeah. respects it. There are no small roles, and with most people that we work with out mm. here. And, um, and I was going to ask also, what what can you guys do to get to the next level as well? Where do you guys put really, Kentucky on the map? Uh, well, I mean, aside from you know tax incentives coming back because Matt, our, our previous governor stripped away our tax incentives, which that's a huge reason why you know you get more film work yeah in your state is tax incentives, mm-hmm. but also having you know the resources and utilities like the soundstage. Yeah. Things like that, you know, instead of having to go to Atlanta for that, we could have a soundstage here that, you know, is a lot cheaper to use and, and utilize. Yeah. Um, as far as just community and mentality, aside from those resources, having those resources, really it, it's just coming together and supporting each other mm. and not having that crabs in a bucket mentality. Yeah. Nice. That, that, that makes sense. That, that, <laughs> That works. You hear, <laughs> you hear people don't have that mentality. Collaborate, be smart. Um, oh yeah, genuinely support your yeah. fellow filmmaker. Uh, yeah, that's that's the most important. That that's key. Like that's why I do this show. Also, is is just to you know let people voices a and also giving other people the chance to say who they are. You know, get that name out there as well too. Um, but last two questions for you, sir. One is, if you like to give away your social media, what is your social media? Um, currently, um, yeah, I don't know why I don't have a website yet. But all right, so you can you can find a lot of our films on YouTube. Okay, uh, look up Small Step Films. There's there's a couple that mm-hmm. kind of have a reiteration of the name, but ours is Small Step Films. Uh, it's a uh, white logo with a gray footprint. You'll see all of our films there, at least the ones that we have released on there, trailers, teasers, yeah. stuff like that, one-off things that we've done. Um, it hasn't been updated in a while, but our most recent short film that went to Pinewood Studios mm-hmm. is a, a Horse of Peace is yeah. on there, fully available. It's a 15-minute short, pretty awesome. Um, it's a bank heist film. Mm-hmm. Um, where we got to shoot in a bank and uh, these these people uh, inadvertently kidnap a baby in the process. And uh, it ends up being a very heartwarming film, oh. you know. So uh, that's usually my films. Like the, the drama, like there's, there's good fish-out-of-water aspects to it, and then it mm-hmm. takes a sharp left turn yeah. with the drama aspect and becomes more of a human piece, nice. which I like instead of just action and stuff. But, I like it. Uh, and then as far as, Facebook, uh, it's just Austin Sheehan on Facebook. Um, I forgot the actual handle. Um, let me uh, see if I can find it. Um, you can find me there. If you just look up Small Step Films 
on Facebook. You'll yep. find me as the moderator on there. Cool. So um, just YouTube and Facebook right now. Awesome. And then uh, last question, sir, is what is that last golden nugget you want to give to the people who are listening today? Uh, God, there's so many things because there's <laughs> there's motivation issues, you know, there's collaboration issues. There's, I guess if you the, – the biggest piece of advice I can give mm-hmm. to anyone – is trust in your fellow teammates, your film, your your production. You know, trust in them. Mm-hmm. Don't try and be a diva. But really, what matters most about anything you do is the story and what's in front of the lens. Don't write. I mean, shoot for a movie that is ambitious. But if you know you can't get a helicopter, or things like this, <laughs> write within your means. Write within your means and fail often. Yeah. Fail as many times as you possibly can. That is the only way to get better is to fail as yeah. many times as possible. So set out to fail. That's my advice. Set out to fail. I like it. I like it. Good good advice. Great advice actually. And also I just have, I do have to say one thing though. If you if you aim for a helicopter, you can easily get one. It's just called an R C controller. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, Austin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you again. I, I really appreciate it. It was, it was nice, you know, nice meeting you via, via the phone and talking to you and learning your story. And remember guys that we're on, uh, you know, we're on Spotify, overcast, tune radio, anchor, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google podcast, you name it, we're on it. So please subscribe to one of those, uh, podcatchers if you like, and you can catch us every Wednesday. And I can't do this without my frame chasers. And I'm just trying to bring hope. Um, I'm just, Try, my God, I can't read today. And I'm just trying to bring knowledge to all you listeners out there. And I hope you're getting some great, valuable information and learning learning something from it because we all have a story and we all go through things at the same time or at different times. And I hope the people that are on the show keep inspiring you to chase those frames. Again, guys, thank you and have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great year. And have a great month. And hopefully we'll catch you next week on Chasing the Frame. Peace, guys. Let's go. This is the Chasing the Frame podcast, where we interview people in the TV and film industry, talking about their journey, how they got to where they are today. We do this podcast for the frame chasers. This is for those in the film industry, going hard, let them know who we are. Frame chasers, we're, we're not chasing the fame, no, no. Tell them what we do. We're chasing the frame. This is the Chasing the Frame podcast with your host.